Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, each week, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and it is my pleasure to have you here with us today. Before we get into the show today, I wanted to talk to you guys about something serious, something that's important to me. As you well know, I'm a big advocate of mental health awareness. If you've heard my story, you understand why. If not, go check it out. Um, You also know that it is a common thread among a lot of the people that I have on the podcast who share their stories. And this week is National Suicide Prevention Week. And the most recent stat that I saw is that 41,000 people die per year from suicide. They take their life. They lose their battle with whatever they were going through. And that is just so, so sad and so horrible to see that number. And if we, as a podcast, as a community, can even reduce that by one, that's a win. And so what I want you guys to do, and I really need your help, and this means so much to me, is if you could stop the podcast right now. Go to wherever you listen to it at on your social media and share this podcast. Share this message of hope with people out there who are really struggling in everyday life, who feel like they are at their end, who feel like they have no more hope for themselves, and share a podcast that maybe has meant something to you. Maybe my story or one of the other stories of people who have battled through some serious mental health um, and thinking about ending their lives and seeing where they've come from and where they're at now and that there is hope out there. And so, like I said, this is National Suicide Prevention Week. And the number I told you about, 41,000, 41,000 people. That's a big number. And if we can reduce that by one, guys, by one, we have made an impact. So I'll say it one last time. Please stop this podcast. Go find wherever you listen to the podcast that share it and say, you're sharing this message of hope for people out there. Let them know. It's not just for us to listen to and take it in and process in our own minds to share it. This podcast is all about the unwritten life, that your story is unwritten, that there is hope for you and that there is a light for you out there and that you are not alone. So if you guys could do that for me, I would be in debt to you. I'd be so honored that you would do that and that if we can make that impact in one life, it is a win all day. I also wanted to thank everybody for downloading the podcast. Um, our numbers are growing by the hundreds every week of downloads. And why that's so important is like I just talked about is getting a message of hope out in front of other people, people who really need to hear it and see it and show up in people's lives. So very proud of you guys. You guys are the heartbeat of the community. You're doing it and you're sharing it and talking about the podcast. So I thank you for that to keep that message going. Well, like I said at the beginning, I've got another great episode for you today. I have a young man who's really going to touch your heart and really kind of inspire some hope inside of you. He's been through a lot. He's come through it, and he has got a vision for his future that's going to give you guys a smile and just offer some light and hope to your life and your day today. Here is my conversation with Danny Amiot. Well, I'd like to welcome to the show today, Danny Amiot. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm fantastic. It's so Love good. In the summer. Have... <laughs> yeah, summer is approaching. So let me give you a little background on Danny. Danny is going to be our youngest person on the podcast so far. Because what is happening in your life tomorrow, Danny? Uh, I am graduating high school. 
graduating high school. How do you feel about that? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you feel accomplished too, right? Long journey. It's not the biggest thing I've done this year, but it's still a pretty big accomplishment for this year. Good. Well, congratulations. I'm excited for you. Graduation is a big day, and you know it's just another stepping stone in your life. Um, so but like I usually do with most people who are on the podcast, I kind of say, you know, before we get into your story, kind of like tell me what it was like before. But with your story, Danny, it all kind of starts at the very beginning, you know, with your mm -hmm. life a little bit. So give me your earliest memories of where your kind of story starts to form where you are today. Well, the earliest thing is always a big thing to me. I don't know why, maybe because it's easy to remember. But uh, someone like my, per se, I, I like to call everything before I was happy, my per se, my dark period. Mm -hmm. A lot of it started like around 2007 when I finally started like mentally being able to see stuff in my life and being able to remember certain things. And uh, a lot of kids, when they grow up, you know, they're in a house with mom and dad and mm -hmm. they got the typical dog, two jobs in a household type of situation. Right. Well, in my case, like a lot of my earliest memories were well, in like trailer parks and low-end stuff. Like, I know we used to have this neighbor. She'd give us stuff all the time because she felt bad for our current situation we were in. And while while I was like in the trailer park, I is where I learned a lot of my stuff. Like, obviously, I went to school and learned stuff, but mm -hmm. I learned so much more living in trailer parks than I did anything. Mostly street knowledge and stuff that would help me survive a lot better. So early on, so you can remember back to 2007, what age would that have put you at? Seven years old. Seven years old. So seven years old, you're living in a trailer park. Are you living just with a single parent? Uh, at the time, I was living with both my mom and my dad. Okay. And it was at the time, like, my dad uh, didn't have a, per se, big drug addiction, but it was starting to get that way. Mm -hmm. And it was, it, my mom and dad didn't argue that much at that age of my life, but like a lot of it grew over time. So when you were saying that maybe at age seven, you lived in the trailer park, you were exposed to a lot of things, um, mm -hmm. and you, maybe your parents were dabbling or your father was dabbling in drugs. What kind of drugs were you exposed to at that time? Uh, not really a whole lot at that age at that time. Okay. A lot of it was uh, pill abuse and stuff of that nature, like the per se, not really basic but that's kind of like where basic ones start at is with the pill addiction and i know it eventually led to us living in a uh, motel actually right before my first grade year started so when you said okay i lived in this trailer park and i felt like i learned more about life in the trailer park than i did doing anything else give me a couple of things that you talk about now that you feel like you learned early on then that you can apply right now um some weird things I learned was don't pick up any animal that you see off the street <laughs> and also know who's there for you and know who's not there for you because a lot of it is you can only trust certain people when you live in a trailer park. You can't just go door to door. Hey, everybody's my friend here. Mm -hmm. You have to know who you can trust. And that's something I learned quickly. Okay. So do you have a example of that where something you made you learn, like I can't trust everybody here? Um, something that taught me that is I, there was this kid, I completely forget what his name is, but there is a scenario where I thought he was like the best friend I've ever had. And he had ended up stealing I, some like toys from me or whatever. And it right then and there, I knew, okay, not everybody's your friend. You got to learn to know that. 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, I didn't like automatically catch on right off the bat. Obviously, it takes time to learn that kind of stuff. Right. But it it planted the seed to that tree. Okay. So you feel like early on, at age seven, you learned some lessons that maybe a lot of people at age seven who maybe live in a normal neighborhood, happy families, do not yeah. have to learn those kind of things early on. Yeah. You're exposed not, to that. Not, not as fastly, but they, they eventually they'll learn it, but like not as quickly as I had to. Is that you had to adapt. Now, did you have any brothers or sisters, Danny? Yes, I have one sister. One sister? Okay. And was she, is she older or younger than you? Older. Older, okay. So you guys grew up together in the trailer mm-hmm. park, kind of ex- made some of these same experiences together. So how does your story start to evolve from there? Age seven, you're at the trailer park, you know, mom and dad are together, dad's starting to dabble, maybe some drugs, you're learning yeah. a bunch of big life lessons early on. What kind of happens next in that story? Well, as we were living there in the trailer park, we ended up moving to literally the other end of the trailer park. So we were on the far end, and we moved to the other end. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing I learned when it came to trust in that situation was while in that moving process, the new trailer that we were moving into got broken into mm. before we even moved in. So we were at the other trailer while the new one was getting broken into. And that's another thing that taught me the whole don't trust people issue. Mm-hmm. And after we moved into that trailer and my dad got a little bit more in drugs and money wasn't the best thing that we had. Money was never the, our strong suit. Like we were never the ones who go splash money on fancy stuff or mm-hmm. even relatively fancy stuff. So we ended up having to move into a motel for a while, mm-hmm. uh, the Greencrest Motel in Mount Orb. And we had lived there for a while. And we were staying there actually with my cousin and her child, which was about my age. Mm-hmm. So we were all huddled up pretty much in a motel room all day, had nothing mm-hmm. to do. And that's another, then that brought me to another life lesson is you have to mind what your parents, you have to mind what your parents say and what you do affects your parents because while we were living in that motel, me and my sister and our younger cousin, which is about my age, we decided, let's go play in a hot car, act like we're driving around. Well, it led to the cops showing up, and it actually ended up, for the first time ever, and the only time ever, I seen my mom get arrested. Oh, wow. And they, they, did, they did let her go, because they cleared it all up, they got dealt with the issue, which I don't have, like, the best memory of what my mom talked about after that experience, but... Mm-hmm. During that time, we were kids. We didn't know any better, and we're living in a motel. I mean, there's not many life lessons you're going to learn at a motel besides where the ice machine is. Right. <laughs> so playing in that car, like that, taught me a lesson of what we do reflects our parents. Right. Or what decisions you make have consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. So what did she get arrested for? Because you guys um, were playing in a car. I think it was that, and like, because we were all in this hot car, and the oh, windows okay. were up, and we had all the doors shut. Like, kids, we kids never pay attention to how hot it is outside. They they're there to play. Right. They're living in that moment. And uh, when when they got there, I think my mom was talking about something about like some check issue, like where she had put a check in uh, an IGA or whatever, mm-hmm. and apparently it didn't go through through her bank account at all. Like it 
voided out and she was in trouble for financing at that point. Okay. But they, they resolved the whole issue while, while she was there. So like they never per se officially booked her or fingerprinted her or anything like that. Okay. They dealt with the issue then and there and while she was at the station. So that was kind of a relief and a big moment. Sure. So at what age were you at that point then? Were you still seven uh, or eight? I was seven and I was right about to go into first grade. So, so at this point, you're about to go into first grade and you see your mom get arrested. What was that like for you to see your mom being arrested? Kind of scary because yeah. like, I trusted my dad with us at the time because I really didn't know much about the whole drug issue. Like, mm -hmm. I thought it was like, oh, he's taking his medication, but I didn't know any better. So I, I was, I was kind of scared because I was like, you, who's going to – who's going to be there as a female role for me. Like it was kind of like that panic mode. Right. So it was scary for you to have that because you were used to having mom and dad together, right? Mm -hmm. At this point. And uh, to see your mom get kind of taken away with the police, you know, at that very young age, you're very fragile, you know, you're really mm -hmm. depending upon your parents, your mom and dad. And at that age, like you said, you don't know what they're doing. You know, you don't see yeah. someone taking pills. You think it's medication. You don't really, you don't get it. Yeah. And so you don't even know what someone not passing a check is right. You know, you don't know what that yeah. means. So to see your mom being taken away, I'm sure was very scary for you. Mm. That really messes with your sense of security as a child, right? Yeah. And I know my older cousin, uh, the, the mother of my younger cousin, one my age that we were hanging out with, his mom tried like blaming us for it. Mm -hmm. At that time, like, out of, like, the fit of rage, like, oh, you know, it's your guys' fault if your mom gets put in jail. And it was kind of like that situation of, we're kids. How is it our fault? Right. Like, and then it kind of came that sense of trying not to blame others for mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody makes a mistake, like, don't try blaming other people. Just kind of but obviously, it. in a way, it was our fault because we were playing in a hot car, but nobody said, don't do that. Right. And you guys are kids. Yeah. So what I like about you, Danny, is that even though you're going through your story right now, it seems like you're trying to uh, align a little life lesson with everything that you did. Now that you're a little mm -hmm. bit older, have a chance to reflect back on some of that. In reality, how are you 18 years old or 17? Yes, 18. So the reality is you're still very young. You're 18 years old. But the fact that you're able to go back to age 7, age 8, and maybe apply just a little bit of a life lesson for our people listening and for mm -hmm. yourself, um, you know, accept responsibility, like a bigger scale of type thing. Mm -hmm. Don't try to blame others for things. So that's really cool, Danny. So I yeah, really it brings that initial goal of I want the future generation to be better than what my generation was. Like mm -hmm. I want people to have it better than what I do. Right. Yeah, and that's great. That is awesome. So as your story starts to evolve, you guys are living in the motel together. A bunch of you are huddled in there together. You're getting ready to start first grade. What happens next? Um, as some time passes on, like, as I said, with me having a concussion, don't really remember every little detail. Sure. But the, the next memory after that, I know we had moved into a trailer on Edgington Road, and it's, like, around, like, the Claremont County, Brown County area, like, within that merge of people. Mm -hmm. And that whole area is, per se, I guess you could say, not, not really the, the hood, per se, but it's not like the nice, friendly, mis like nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's there's a lot of people who have drug abuse on that street, and the house I actually lived in had no running water. 
Okay. Because of how the pipe was lined up with the town or whatever, you couldn't get water there. So I was the smelly kid. I had no way to wash my clothes. I couldn't go just go home and take a shower. Right. And even make ramen noodles, I either had to open the package and eat it dry, or we had to go to somebody's house that we knew, filled up five gallon jugs or gallon jugs, and that was whatever jugs we had of water. That was what we had. Like that's all we got so, at that time. At what age were you at that point then? Uh, about nine. About about age nine. Yeah. So, where did you, besides getting water from neighbors, how long did you live like that where you didn't have water and you felt like you were the smelly kid, you couldn't wash your clothes, you can't really shower? Um, actually, I was probably there about towards the middle of being eight years old, actually. Okay. And I didn't get out of there till I was about halfway between nine and ten. Okay. Because it was right around that time, like, by the time I turned nine, my dad had moved out mm-hmm. because it was that it was at that time like where drug abuse got major because once he started doing drugs, he and he would go to the doctor. He'd pretty much be like the typical person who's on drugs, and he would demand he get his medication. Right. And that a lot of that time period when I was living in that trailer was a lot of where I experienced in front of me, people doing drugs in front of me. And it was never my mom. My mom always stayed yeah. clean. So uh-huh. I, I was very lucky to have something like that because, like, my cousin, the, a different cousin from the story, his parents, both of them were bad on drugs, and he didn't have any parents to be there for him his whole childhood. So at this point, you're said you're between age eight and ten. You're living in a place with no water for almost two years, basically, um, you know, and hoping to get water and five gallon jugs from friends or family, just to be able to wash, have food, things like that. Mm-hmm. Then you're also exposed to heavier drug usage by mm-hmm. by your father, um, and then other people around you. What kind of drug abuse are you talking about? Was it just pills only? Is that what stuff you were seeing? Um, a lot of it was pills and like I, I think I know like he would per se like snort pills and I I'm not going to quote this I don't know if cocaine was involved but might have been not 100% certain and uh, I know one day I went with my dad to a doctor's appointment and before he went to the doctor's appointment we stopped at one of his buddy's house mm-hmm. and I was literally sitting next to my dad in a giant pot circle Oh, jeez. And I was, like, young. I didn't know what it was, so I was kind of just, like, naive looking around, like, do Right. Well, again, you're young. You're not expecting anything, and you're trusting your dad to take you to a safe place. Yeah. Not a place where you're going to be sitting around in a circle of everyone doing drugs. Um, did you feel early on, if you could think back to that point, did you feel like this is just going to be my new normal? Eventually, I'll take drugs, too. My dad does. Everyone around us does. Were you I never really that? had that. I had a lucky save within that moment. I found pro wrestling. Oh, cool. And that was the one re- and the one wrestler, uh, CM Punk. I don't know if you've ever been a wrestling fan. Oh, I have. I have lots of embarrassing wrestling stories I could tell you. Oh, we'll, trust we'll me, so do I. <laughs> we'll do that on a later podcast. 
But um, <laughs> I became a big fan of CM Punk and his straight edge lifestyle. And that quickly adapted me like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be straight edge, not doing any of this stuff. So I think that's what kept me going through all this. I think if I was any other average kid, I would have been trying to do drugs at 10 years old or nine years old. And I would have had a really bad decline and Lord knows where I'd be at today. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think pro wrestling in that case. Yeah. But uh, like it, it did become a norm life though. Like I got used to it. Like, I, as, as used to as you could be because right. the house was never clean. Like we never cleaned the house and mine and my sister, me and my sister, we shared a bedroom and eventually my uncle had moved in with his three kids. Oh, so wow. it was my uncle, his three kids, me, my sister, my mom, and my dad all in one household with no water. one, one single trailer one single white trailer, no running water. Not, I, I don't want to really say barely any food, but a lot of it required water. Right. So it was kind of like peanut butter and jelly, dry ramen. I quickly became a fan of dry ramen. <laughs> oh, well, and it's unfortunate that you had to go through that at that point in your life. And um, I think that's going to make you a little more empathetic as you grow mm-hmm. older, you know, with other situations as well. Um. So your father at that point left. Uh, at about two thousand nine, like a little bit before two thousand nine happened, he had ended up leaving. The, he moved out because his doctor had said, "No, I'm not giving you medication." So he decided to blame my uncle for it, thinking my uncle had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so once my dad had left, he went and stayed with his grandparents because he never got to meet his parents. His parents had ended up killing themselves after he was born. Oh wow. So he went back, he went and started staying with his grandparents and I didn't see my dad for, a. am going to say about six months. Okay. I didn't see him for an entire six months, didn't hear from him or anything. And one day he called my mom and was like, I want to see the kids. Mm-hmm. And so it left us to that standardizing point of, okay, how's this going to work? My mom and dad never got a divorce. That's something they promised they'd never do. They, they stuck to that in a, in a weird motto that uh, till death do you part type of situation. Even though they weren't together, they didn't divorce. Right. Okay. So they ended up saying, okay, you get the kids on the weekends. I'll get them on the week. And we went there most weekends. And at that point, I thought, okay, life is normal. I didn't see my dad doing any drugs. Right. Um, things were I, as normal as you could get at the house, even though still no running water. So when I would go to my dad's, it was like, awesome. I'm going to get a shower. I'm going to do some laundry. Maybe I won't be the smelly kid in school still. Right. And we had that, that knight in shining armor up here. My mom ended up meeting this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's David. So my mom ended up moving in with David uh, out on Jackson Pike and we're out in the middle of the country, like to the left cornfields, to the right cornfields, behind you cornfields, in front of you, like one A-frame house back in the woods. That's it. So all the cornfields you were living in, all of them, huh? Yeah. Plenty of corn to eat. Well, sadly, it was animal corn, so I couldn't eat any of it. <laughs> just my luck. Just your luck. You're surrounded by all this corn, but it's just for the animals. Yeah. Um. But, 
That was my saving grace, though. <laughs> so explain to me why that was your saving grace. Uh, it was a saving grace because I got to get out of that trailer, and I could find. And a lot of that time while I was living in a trailer, by the way, like it came to that stage where I was getting bullied at school as well. Because mm-hmm. like I was just I was a kid that smelled. I didn't have the nice new Nike shoes. I didn't have like all the fancy stuff. Like all the kids I knew had in-ground pools. Mm-hmm. Their mom and dad had like so many plans for them, and like I was kind of winging it. Right. So, so that's why it's the same grace. Oh, well, let me take a step back in your story, actually. I wanted to ask you this. So you living in that time that you did when you lived in that uh, trailer with no water and you, you know, were struggling financially, had a lot of things going on then, how, how much did that really impact you as a person, impact you socially? Uh, socially, a lot. Um, what was the first part? I was just asking how that kind of impacted you as a person then, you know, being at a place where I know you talked about being bullied, how that, you know, obviously not be able to have clean clothes, not smell as good as you want. And it's really not your fault, but you know, being around other kids, did you have a lot of friends? Did you, were you pretty isolated during that time? I had two friends like the whole time. Like I had two friends throughout high school or not high school, but elementary school, but they never got along. So that kind of made it harder to keep a tr- a three-person friendship if they never right. got along. But I tried being a social butterfly as much as I could. But mm-hmm. I was that kid that everybody looked at and they were like, no, I'm not going to socialize with him because X amount of reasons. Right. And it kind of like it affected me emotionally because that's why I had like a younger child depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, as a younger child, like, you don't have that mental exposure to suicide or anything of that nature. Right. Even though when I was younger, I don't remember what age my dad had tried killing himself, but we weren't home. Me and my sister weren't home. It was him and my mom. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the exact scenario of that, but um, like getting bullied and all that, it taught me this. Another lesson I learned was you have to, you have to kind of like brush it off. You can't let words affect you. So, like, when I, I when I would get bullied at older ages, it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And I tell that to a lot of freshmen and stuff, like, before I left the high school. I said, if you get bullied, don't let it bother you. Try your hardest not to. And if it does, message me. Trust me. I've been in that position where right. I wanted to end it all. And obviously, mm-hmm. we'll get to that point in the story. Um so after we had moved into my mom's boyfriend's house, I thought, all right, everything's okay again. Um, and it was about that time where I had moved. I got my Arrow Light and Cub Scouts, and I had finally moved into Boy Scouts. So mm-hmm. that, that set that mental goal in the back of my head. Okay, I'm going to get Eagle Scout and get all three palms before I turn 18. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a question, Danny. Um, you getting into... Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, what was that like for you to be in a positive area with good role models? Because there's a lot of strong men, good, strong role models in that. What was it like for you at that point in your life to be part of something like that? It felt good, but it felt weird at the same time because I, I, I was never that person who felt like they fit in. Right. And that was never my mindset to want to fit in. I always liked being unique at some points, but then there came that time in my life where I wanted to blend in and be like everybody else. But it felt, it felt nice because if it wasn't for scouting, that would be another reason why I wouldn't be who I am. 
I would probably have given up on the straight edge lifestyle and everything like that. So, okay. So we talked about the scouts and how that was important to you in your life and um, how you just moved into this new home with David and it was like your saving grace. What was life like like that after that when you moved into that home? It was a lot more relaxing because mm -hmm. I felt, okay, life's normal. I'm, I see my dad on the weekends. I'm coming home, staying there during the week. And now, now it's back to that two men in the house situation. But I'm younger, so I don't really have that I'm king of the castle mojo to me. Right. Like I wasn't like competitive with them. So I kind of let things go as they were. And I was like, okay, things are amazing. Life's back to semi-normal. Still seeing my dad doing drugs and stuff in front of me on the weekends. But mm -hmm. I ignored it as much as I could as a kid. Like I would leave and I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot when I was younger. Uh, me and my cousin, who mm -hmm. lived right up the road from him, we would play Yu-Gi-Oh! all the time, and I got my first Xbox 360, and we'd play video games a lot. That's cool. So I ended up going to my first summer camp uh, with the Boy Scouts, which is where we stayed there for a week, you earn merit badges, etc., mm -hmm. etc. And once we had gotten there, it had completely things have had completely gone off the rail because there was one night I was laying in bed or on my cot at summer camp and I had gotten up and I had this emotional breakdown just randomly. Mm -hmm. so I, had, I had felt something was going wrong at the house. Like I had felt something had went wrong. I don't know what it was. And then the next day, my, we were, me and all my cousins, we were all in the same scout troop. All five of us were just sitting around camp. Mm -hmm. And during that same exact evening, there was a five-on-five -five basketball tournament happening. And one of our scout leaders was like, called for all five of us, said, hey, come with me. And like us being boys, we're like, oh, they probably want all the family to do basketball together or whatever. We get there. It's my mom, her boyfriend, my sister, and one of my cousin's moms and his little sister. And then as soon as I seen them, I was like, something's up. Right. So my mom and my mom's boyfriend and my sister were like, hey, can you come with us? We went down to this canopy thing right next to the river or lake, and they're like, your dad passed away. Oh and my as gosh. soon as that happened, everything around me came crashing down. Mm. And I had completely emotionally like shut down as soon as they said that. Mm -hmm. I had quit caring about everything and everyone. Like I could have cared less what happened the next day. Right, and they had, they had picked me up because his funeral was the next day. He passed away the night I went to summer camp. Oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that, Danny. Yeah, and it, it kind of hurt the fact. And one of my scout leaders knew, but they obviously they weren't going to come up to me. Hey, just letting you know, right? Like, and it kind of like it ate at me. And that whole two hour ride home, it was it was the it felt like the slowest car ride of my life. I bet because. I had no idea, like, what what happens now. And I had gotten home, and I went up. I had this loft bed, and I went up to my bed that night, and I seen the statue I bought my dad. It was a Superman statue, and it said something like, "Dad, my dad's a superhero," or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that triggered another emotional breakdown. And so that became my new norm. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Okay, I guess I'm just gonna be a depressed person. Whatever, it's not right. gonna affect me." And so after he had been buried and everything, a little bit of time went on to about 2013. 
my mom and her boyfriend while I was at summer camp again. And this is why I keep that term. Summer camp was not my place to go. Right. They had ended up breaking up in the middle of my summer camp. Oh man. And so my mom picks me up from when we, I got dropped off after summer camp, we were driving. My mom breaks the news like, Hey, me and David broke up. And I was, had another small emotional breakdown. I mean, I wasn't like best buddies with them, but it came that time of, am I not going to have like a male role model in my life? Mm -hmm. And so my mom was like, don't worry. We're going to have, and that was another worry. I was like, where do we go? Where are we going to live at? Yeah. What's next? Yeah. My mom ended up finding an apartment, uh, Zebulon, which was right down the road from CNA. And at this time, I was already going to CNA. I wasn't going to Western Brown anymore. And while we started staying at the new place, I was like, okay, now things are normal. And David ended up showing up at our doorstep, and he had an emotional breakdown, and my mom took him back. But we didn't move out of Zebulon. Instead, Mm -hmm. he moved in with us. And he owned the farm, or his dad owns the farm, so he had that to go to just in case. Right. And while he started staying with us for that period, that's when me and him started butting heads. Because I see it as, I don't want any male in, my, in this life. I want it to just be me, my mom, and my sister. That's it. And so me and him would butt heads over the dumbest things. Like, it, something as petty as the door wasn't locked or something stupid. Right. And I, and this was, he was doing drugs. Nobody knew. I didn't know. My sister didn't know. My mom didn't know. Mm-hmm. He was actually doing heroin and everything and like storing cocaine and everything. And he was acting like an idiot all the time. And that's another reason why me and him weren't on the same page. Cause right. I tried acting like the mature adult that I didn't need to be one at 13, but I felt like it should have been time then for me to become that way. Right. And he ended up leaving and going back to his house at about in about 2014. So he wasn't there that long. He was there about a year, not okay. even. And I had fallen back into this depression of, are they going to, because they had broken up, but they got back together immediately. But he stayed at his house. We stayed separated. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know exactly, like, it came that time of, okay, I'm sweet. I'm going into high school here soon. I need to figure out what I want to do for my future. No idea what I wanted to do. Still watching pro wrestling, though, all the t- mm-hmm. time. And I was like, I want to try that. And so I got in contact with one of my sister's friends, Donald. And I said, hey, look, I know you're a backyard wrestler. Can you give me an opportunity? And he gave me an opportunity yeah. to go up to Columbus with him every weekend and wrestle. And so that was like, all right, cool. There's my escape. Mm-hmm. That's how I'll let go of my frustrations. But then I started acting like I was everybody else. I wanted to be the athlete. Right. The guy who got all the girls and everything. And so, like, I started wearing sweatpants and, like, the joggers all the time, sleeveless shirts, working out all the time. And it didn't make me happy. And I didn't know why. So I was like, oh, I'll just wrestle crazier matches or whatever. So every time I go to Columbus, I would come home every weekend with another part of my body in the worst pain of its life. Right. And I was like, that's, that's, I guess this is just my escape. This is how I'll get over it. Mm -hmm. Clearly it didn't work. (laughs) Right. Well, Daniel, let me ask you this question. So I want to go back just a little bit in your story. I just didn't want to stop you. You know, you're devastated with the news of the loss of your father. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so you're, you're going up and down these emotional breakdowns. Um, you go to another camp, you come back, and then your safety net of being with David at this home is gone. They're broken up. You're at a new apartment, different school, things of that nature. And it seems like every single time something would come into your life that was bad, you'd have another kind of a breakdown. And with the wrestling, you were, seemed like you were just trying to fill this empty hole you had inside of you. Yeah. And for this, you know, first it was one thing, then it was the wrestling. Now you're in pain there. What else did you try to fill that empty hole with? Uh, just sitting around, just letting time pass by. And when I moved into the apartments, I met a girl, and I had actually started dating her. And when I look at it now, I'm like, wow, she was like, I was like a five, and she was like a ten. Like, I don't know how it worked, but I was like, you know, maybe this, me being an athlete type of person is paying off. Mm -hmm. And I was like, awesome. And I didn't know how relationships worked. I was young. I was dumb. A lot of different things happened with different relationships. And then I had come to this point of, I was done doing backyard wrestling and I started watching the UFC a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I went to a gym that one of my distant cousins was a uh, head coach for. Okay. Uh, team Sean Heyman's. And I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and doing a little bit of boxing. And I found a backyard wrestling or backyard MMA fighting thing that a bunch of guys had started up. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do this. Started doing that. Still wasn't satisfying me. I don't know what it was. It's like, man, none of this stuff's making me happy. Right. And so I called it all quits. I was done, and that was about 2015 mm-hmm. is when that had happened. And at that point, I had hit my bottom. I had gotten to that point where I was ready to take my life. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten a call from one of my best friends, Nick. Right. And I I was literally like on that breaking point. Like I had everything prepared, how I was going to do it and everything. He had ended up, his, my phone started going off and I was like, I looked at it and I was like, I might as well get one last conversation in before I go. Right. Answered it. He, his exact words is, Hey, when 2016 starts, I'm thinking about starting YouTube. You want to join me? And I kind of I sat there and I thought about it for a long time. I was like, start something new in life. Mm-hmm. And it came to that thing of this next decision alters everything. Right. And I said, we'll see. I got off the phone. I got back to what I was going to do. And I was like, I was sitting there just thinking of all the crap that happened throughout my life. Right. All the phases I went through, the rapper phase, the athlete phase, and the the typical children phase. Mm-hmm. And then I thought of this small story idea. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. I called him back immediately. And I said, hey, let's do this. January 29th, meet me outside. We're starting this. I had picked the date, everything. Mm-hmm. And so I gave myself a deadline. I spent that entire rest of the rest of uh, 2015 and all of most of January of 2016, writing relentlessly. Now, let me go back just a little bit. Okay. And I'm glad to hear you didn't take your life and that you had Nick or whoever intervened on your behalf that night to help you give you a fresh start in something. Um, 
you know, in, in the small amount of time that you had lived your life at that point, you had been through a lot, right? You know, yeah. a lot of ups and downs. You've seen a lot of things that a lot of people shouldn't see, that a lot of kids don't see. Unfortunately, there's a lot of kids that do see it. And it left yeah. you to a real dark place. And yeah. anyone who's listened to our podcast before, we talk about mental health and stuff a lot. And um, it, I think it's tough at a very young age to understand what's going on and process all those emotions to feel at that point in your life that you had no hope. Yeah. You had no other way out. You had given yourself to somebody and been rejected over and over again between, you know, with your father and him passing away and your mom and boyfriends and girlfriends and things like that, that you got to this point. And, but it felt like you got that phone call from your friend and this began a part of redemption for you and a new yeah. life, a new story. So let's talk a little bit about that. So once you had called me and we officially set the date and everything and I had been writing, we went out there and right before I went outside that day, I had thought to myself, do I want to tell him about this whole story I have wrote? I decided 100% against it. And I went full blast character in person to everybody I knew. Didn't tell anybody that there was a show going on. Every time I turned on the camera, everything. I was character, full mode, happy, bright, smiled. But when I would lay down in person that night, that depression would seep back in. Mm -hmm. And I would fight it off. And I had initially, when it came about the summer of 2017, uh, came a crucial point in the show. I had created this character named Dennis. And that was the darkness inside of me. It mm -hmm. represented the, instead of like drug abuse, he had an alcohol abuse situation and he had abused everybody that he had ever known and everything like that. And I was like, this, this is the character that I want to be like breaking ground. And that character didn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. And so it came to about towards the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. I had created this character called Real Life Danny, mm -hmm. and it showed that depression, that real depression that I had let out. I played that depression as hard as I could to get it across to people, and I ended my first show. Did the season, did the show finale mm -hmm. revealed to everybody, 20 seasons, over 300 episodes. I wrote and directed all of it. It was all fake. And at that point, as soon as I revealed that, I turned off that camera that night and uploaded it, I had felt so much better. And between that time period, actually, between towards the end of the show and everything, I had moved back out to the farm because my mom's boyfriend ended up going to prison um, because drugs and he got and he tried robbing a place and failed. And so he got three years. He actually gets out in July. So. Okay. Which I am I'm excited for in a weird way because I believe in him. I believe he made a change while he was out in prison. But uh, my first show had finally ended. I had finally felt happy. I was on the farm again because I got tired of living in the apartments. Right. I, I was never one of those people. I never liked being surrounded by people. Like, I, I could stand on stage in front of 300 people and say whatever I wanted. But if you stick me in the center about 30 people, I freak out. Right. It's not I, – I don't like being surrounded by people. Sure. And so did my show, and I thought to myself, okay, my first show's done. I'm not fully out of the full depression yet at that time. 
at the start of the year, but I was like, how am I going to keep myself going at the pace I was? Right. And I had looked over on my desk and I had index cards. I wrote on one of the cards, goals for 2018. I put it up on my wall, taped mm -hmm. it up on my wall, and got started writing goals for the year on these note cards. The list has grown. It has shrunk throughout this entire year. I've completed eight of my year goals so far. That's awesome. And that's to keep myself going because you always hear the New Year's resolution. Nobody, a lot of people usually don't do them. Right. But this is how you keep a New Year's resolution going year-round, and you keep going because I can't wake up and not look at my wall. I have right. to look at it. On my wall, I only have, I have very few things on my wall. A poster from my show. That way I can look at that as a sense of accomplishment. Sure. A mirror prop from the show. And the note cards. And whether it be something as stupid as buy yourself a MacBook to something major, like something that's not even really in my hands, it's get 300 subscribers on YouTube. Like mm -hmm. some things that aren't even in my hands, but in a way I feel like they can be, and I can work towards that goal. Well, let me ask you a question. You told me when we talked a little bit before uh, actually recording is that when you found out that your sister got pregnant, mm -hmm. that was a big turning point for you. And, yeah. um, that was kind of like your comeback story, you know, where you really had a catalyst for change, not just uh, yeah. for small like, change. It was like, kind of like my small change. Like after that happened, I felt like I could make a change. And that's another thing that drove the show to keep going as well. Yeah. Tell the listeners why that was such a big deal finding out that she was pregnant. Uh, the reason why it was such a big deal to me is because there's a lot of kids, like obviously like in my situation that don't have that father figure and, a lot of their uncles like aren't the best. Like I have, I do have like some good uncles. Them, like aren't like the there for you all the time, like taking you to the park or doing all the small things. And I wanted to be that uncle that my uncle could look at and be like, "That's the guy I need." Because his dad ended up being the best dad. His dad never sees him at all, and so I didn't want him to fall in that pattern that I did. I don't want him to be at like. 15 years old getting ready to take his own life in his bedroom. So, uh, so for that, not only were you trying to be a good uncle, but it sounds like that was a catalyst for your life to change, to be positive. Yeah. To be happy. Is that right? Yeah. Like that was my initial thing of taking my own life that night. But like hearing that from my sister, I held off on it. And then it came that night when Nick called me mm -hmm. that initially fully stopped that whole ending my life situation. Well, that's awesome. That was awesome. That was able to be that catalyst for change for you. So with your goals of 2018 that you've uh, accomplished and what, what are you feeling right now? I feel fantastic. I mean, I'm completing goals. I'm at getting ready to do the second season of my new show, Awaken. And Tell me about I your show really quick. You keep on referencing your show. What is your show? Uh, my first show was called Cracked. And it was pretty much showing that cracked mindset of somebody. And there was, I, I like people to watch it and take their own story from it, even though sure. if somebody watched it now, it would take forever. I, I like people to take their own mindset from it. Like, what did you pull from it? But with this new show, Awaken, that I'm doing, it's right. The first season was about these characters getting stuck in this VR world. When that's another reference to my life, I mm -hmm. kept getting stuck in these, per se, virtual realities where I was stuck 
in these things where I felt everything was safe and okay, but there's always that danger that lurks. Right. And with season two, we're doing an origin story about this character who, his name is Isaiah, and he's the creator of Awaken, and he has this perfect lifestyle, or so he wants it to seem that way, mm-hmm. but nothing ever goes his way. It always falls apart somehow, whether it be dealing with illness or loss of family or something of that nature. So you get to really take your real-life experiences and pour them into these shows then, huh? Yes. How cool does it feel to have people who subscribe to your YouTube channel, watch your shows, uh, connect with you, and say maybe how they felt after the show? It feels weird in a way, but it feels so nice because the, the, the nearest reference that I would have is we had finished up the season finale of Awaken about a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And at lunch, like, I'll sit there and there'll be a, this girl who watches my show. Like, she watches this new show like crazy. She loves it. Right. She loves the story. She loves the characters. And I had made her cry. She ended up crying during the finale. Mm. I'm not going to spoil it, but the character had ended up dying off. Danny, it don't spoil up, it. Stop. No spoilers, Danny. Hey, I didn't say who. <laughs> but uh, that ended up happening, and she had ended up getting upset about it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much this story meant to somebody. Like, I'm just writing it in my room and filming. I, it doesn't connect with me as much as it would with them. Well, it's funny you said that because I mention this on my podcast all the time that be it you're writing it your real life, your story matters. Yes. Your story really, really matters. And I'll say it again, and I've said it a thousand times, don't be scared to share your story. You know, people don't connect to the perfect Facebook life that you see of everybody or Instagram or whatever social media you follow. They really connect to your struggle. I mean, mm-hmm. deep, deep, dark, no water, trailer park, dad died, everyone's left me, I feel abandoned story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the strength is at. And that's why it's so important to share it, even if it's in a show that you're pouring yourself into and it's really at your real life experiences, that it means something to people. It really does because they connect with that. And I think it's so brave of you and powerful of you, Danny, to use your life experiences. And and I say life, you're only 18 years old. You know, you have yeah. so many great things still to come. But in this small time that you've been alive, you've lived a lot of different scenarios, right? Yeah. You've been through a lot of different stuff. And so I think it's really brave of you and powerful of you to share your story even on the podcast today and mm-hmm. in your shows you do. That's really cool. Yeah, and no matter how far somebody gets, like, as happy as somebody seems, there's always going to be, like, down point. Like, mm-hmm. no matter how, like, my last summer camp, it was the best summer camp of my life, and I had never been so happy at a summer camp. I got home, my sister had moved out, didn't tell anybody. Her and the baby, gone. And I, I, was, I was so happy heading home. No matter how happy somebody gets, like, if I had to tell anybody, no matter how happy you get, no matter how rich, successful, proud you feel you're always going to have it down the front the thing is is how well you're going to be able to climb out of that downhole i was having a conversation this about a week ago with my one of my other best friends his name's kevin he was sitting in the car and he had said something about wanting to end his life i looked at him and i said life everything in life is a giant sometimes you have to cut the head off of a giant you're always going to be weaker than it but if you can cut the head off of it, you'll become stronger from it. And you can carry that head into the next battle to a bigger giant and keep taking them down. No matter how you look at it, every giant's bigger. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to keep fighting that giant. And a lot of, like, I've never been, like, per se, like, the biggest religious person until I met uh, Chip Shaw. And he is one of the most helpful people in my life because he looks at me as such a difference. Mm-hmm. Especially when I got my Eagle. Like, once I got Eagle Scout, he had looked back from my freshman and sophomore year. He knew my dark period. Mm-hmm. He he could see it. Like I didn't have to tell him. He could tell. Right. Because if somebody asked how were you, I wouldn't say excellent, amazing, good, bad, or anything. I tired. And it wasn't physically tired. It was I was tired of this. I was tired of life. I was tired of everything in it. Right. And he had helped me a lot spiritually. And a lot of the people around him, like Chad and all the others, were there for me. And they, a lot of them love my growth and how much I've grown up and changed. Like, if you would have met me when I was a sophomore and you see me now, right? night and day difference by far. Well, that's amazing that you've had that kind of growth, Danny. I want people to know about me. Like, I've told people, like, one-on-one, like, about my story. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be, like, a lot nicer, like, to have a lot, a lot of people here at one time because then they can all look at it. And then think, wow, that's amazing. I got to meet this person. And it could also help with bringing people to see my story and finding a way to relate it as well. Like if Mm -hmm. they see my show saying, I went through that situation. I had a sibling who was an alcoholic referencing to Dennis. Mm -hmm. Or they've had a scenario happen. They can look at me like, that was me. Or that's been somebody who I know. Mm -hmm. And they can show it to somebody else and be like, look, this character was in the same scenario. See if you can relate to the story right. or show them my story and see if they relate to it as well. Yeah. And it's not just so much that they relate to the struggle, but they relate to see that you've come through on the other side of that, you mm-hmm. know, and that you're living a more positive life. You're living a life with more hope. You are graduating high school tomorrow. Which is a That's something I never thought I would do because I had almost dropped out sure. <laughs> at some I- point. And so it's such a good uh, reminder that you can go through the struggles, and that's the whole point of this podcast, that you can go through the deepest, darkest, darkest times and still come through the other side with hope, Mm -hmm. hope for a future, hope for success, and hope for other people. Danny, as we wrap up the podcast today, what kind of hope and encouragement could you offer for somebody listening right now who's maybe gone through the same thing or is going through it? What kind of hope could you offer them? Um. Never give up because no matter how dark things will always get, you can always climb out of it. And no matter how much you think that nobody cares anymore and how isolated you think you may be, mm-hmm. there's always that neighbor. There's there's always somebody. I mean, go to a counselor at your school. Go to a teacher. I've made so many – I've made more friends with teachers than I have students. Mm-hmm. because I related to them so much better because they understand the life struggle. The, the thing is, if you give up, then not just you're giving up on yourself, giving up on family and everything. And if you have a dream, chase it. Because if your dreams don't scare you in the slightest bit, they aren't big enough. My my dream of being a director and actor and everything mm-hmm. and going to be doing terrifies me of failing. But I keep doing it because... If I'm not scared, I'm not going to try. I'll sit back and let it happen. I could go work at BP up the road, and I'd be 
not set for life, but I would have a job. I'd be safely secure by myself. But if I'm scared to chase this dream and I'm chasing it, it's going to make me stronger. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said that perfectly. I mean, so many great takeaways at the the end there. You know, if your goals don't scare you, you need bigger goals. And uh, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes that I just heard a couple weeks ago that really resonates with me and some other people I've shared it with is, make goals so big that you are going to fail at them until you can grow into the person who can achieve those goals. Yeah. And I think that epitomizes your story and your life. And I think everybody should be like Danny out there. Go out there and slay those giants. Cut their head off and take it into your next battle. Keep on slaying those giants in your life. Danny, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today to hear you share your story of, you know, the deepest, darkest times as a young boy to where you're at now, age 18, getting ready to graduate high school. I think you have so many great things ahead of you. But before we go, if there's somebody who wants to connect with you, Danny, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever social media. I use all social media, Snapchat, everything. Okay, so what we'll do is I'll get all the links from Danny for all his social media and his YouTube channel so you guys can check out a show, and I'll put them in the show notes so when people check this out, then they can see that and connect with you, Danny. Does that sound good? All right, sounds amazing. Well, Danny, again, it's been my pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so excited for you for your future. I can't wait for you to have your graduation tomorrow and kickstart the next part of your life. Yes, it was a pleasure being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I'd like to thank Danny so much for joining me today on the podcast and being vulnerable and being really candid about his past and his childhood and everything he went through growing up just to be here today to offer a message of hope for people. Are you guys blown away by this young man? I hope so because I was. After hearing his story and hearing him share it and just the amount of light and smile that he has in his voice that you speak with him and for what he wants for this future and as you hear him talk about, he wants people to hear his story to see that, yes, I went through this also and that you are not alone, that you can go through it and that there is hope for you. So very proud of Danny for coming on the show today and I hope you guys were blown away by his light and his hope and optimism like I was. You know, like we talked about on the podcast, Danny's only 18 years old. A lot of wisdom for a guy who's only lived 18 years, right? Um, Some of the big takeaways from his podcast is what he was talking about, things that you face in life, that you're always going to have big giants in your life that you're going to go up against and battle. And you think about it, what are those big giants in your life? It could be a crazy job, crazy relationship, crazy family things going on, and they all seem so big and so scary that we can't take them on. But you heard Danny say, you got to cut off the head of that giant. Take that head and take it into the next battle with you. Cut off the next head of that giant. Because like he said, the giants in your life, they're always going to be bigger. The fears are always going to be bigger. The pain's always going to be bigger than something you feel like you can handle right at that moment. And you've got to rise up, cut the head off of whatever you're going through, and carry that into your next battle. But to know that you were able to take down those giants. And so when you come up against that next giant, you know, I've been here before, and I can take this one down as well. I think Danny had a lot of wisdom when he was talking about what he really is up against, about his dreams, that he's scared to death about failing to become an actor or director. But his quote was great. You know, if your dreams don't scare you, then you need bigger dreams. And he's right. He's 100% right. If your dreams are too easy, they don't scare you, go bigger. 
if you reach the top of your mountain, find a bigger mountain, they talk about. And I, I loved his story about everything that he went through from a young child, all the places he'd lived and uh, the things that he had seen and the losses that he had had, that he wasn't still scared to dream, that he still has all these goals for himself. And he said that if your dreams don't scare you, and his dreams do scare him, you heard him talk about it, you need bigger dreams. And talking to Danny, he has big dreams for himself. He has a vision for his future, and we wish him all the luck. And I think he's definitely going to achieve those dreams. And what he's done here today is he's made people feel normal. Because I guarantee you people who have listened to this podcast maybe grew up like he did or know someone who grew up like he did. Not a lot was offered to him at a young age, a lot of loss. And he still is pushing today to be the best that he can be. And so, Danny, thanks so much for sharing your story and making people feel normal out there and letting them know that they are not alone. And speaking about being alone, we talked about the podcast at the very beginning about National Suicide Prevention Week. September is actually Suicide Awareness Month. And we want to let people know that you are not alone out there. If you feel alone, that you don't have hope, you do. There are people out there just like you who are scared, who aren't feeling very hopeful for the future, but reach out to somebody. Find that one friend, family member, and speak to them. Even if the things that you are feeling feel quote-unquote crazy or um, you're having thoughts and visions of things that you just know aren't right and aren't normal, talk to somebody. And if you do not have anyone that you can think about in your life that you can speak to, I want you to call the Suicide Prevention Hotline. I'm going to read that here. It is 1-800-273-8255. I'm going to say it one more time. If you are alone and you're feeling hopeless right now and you think the only way is to end your life, there is another way. And if you don't have anybody, please call the Suicide Prevention Line at one 800 273-8255. I want you to know that you're not alone, that you matter, and that you have so much value. And the world is better for having you in it. So please, please, please do not give up. Reach out, get some help, and know that you are not alone. I want to thank you guys so much for listening this week. And please, please, please check us out on Facebook at the Unwritten Life Podcast Group. Join it. Be part of the discussion. We want to hear from you there. Also, if you feel like you want to share your story, but you're a little bit nervous about doing it, reach out to me at Tim at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. You can relay a little bit of your story. Maybe we can have a conversation, and maybe you can even find your way of being on the podcast and sharing it and offering hope to others. You can also check us out on Instagram at Unwritten Life Podcast. is where we share pictures of people on the show, and we also have our show notes at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. You guys are the heartbeat of the community. I appreciate you guys so much, more than you ever know. So we've come to the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your life, not the end of your journey at all. Please remember that you matter, that you can make a difference, and that your story is still unwritten.